Good morning, good morning. Yeah, it's good to be back. Well, I want to start with prayer and then we'll go to it. Dear God, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you that we're all together. I want to thank you that we have the opportunity to be together, to have fellowship together, to worship you together. And now that we're going to listen from your word, I want to ask you for guidance, wisdom, and help us understand your word. And in order for us to learn more about you and also learn how to love you and love others more and more. I want to thank you and ask you everything in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we're going to look at a particular text you just heard, which is in 1 John chapter 4. Initially, when I was preparing, I chose 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, which talks directly about love. But of course, we all know, we got to look at the context. A few weeks ago, we started talking about standing firm. So in Ephesians 6, we talked about standing firm in the truth. We talked about putting on the armor of God. And we talked also about the elements of the armor of God, right? So we talked about the helmet of salvation, specifically that we refer back to last week. And that when we stand firm in the truth, when we stick to Jesus, when we abide in Jesus, we will be able to recognize what is true and what is not true. And last week we talked about, well, the conclusion on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus was saying also to beware of false prophets. He made different illustrations about what is true and what is not true, what is of him and what is not of him. So if we can remember, he mentioned about the good tree and the bad tree. The good tree that produces good fruit, the bad tree that produces bad fruit. He mentions also about the wise builder, the foolish builder, the good disciple, the false disciple. And Jesus, he makes this distinction every time when he was speaking. And his disciples, they got the same structure of his sermon when they were preaching. Which is something I noted and that we have to pay attention to. Also, we talked about the interpretation of judgment. While Jesus was saying, judge not, but still in the same text, he's saying stuff that requires judgment. Well, in other words, requires discernment. And if we read this text, 1 John 4, 7, while I was preparing... I was like, oh, hey, why don't we start from verse 1? It's technically talking about the same thing. So if we go there right now, we'll read, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit, to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and now it's already in the world. And now, here it continues saying, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you and us than he who is in the world. Right? Remember we talked about this also. Who is in the world? Right? What are we facing? There is a war. And we started by, by looking at the text in Ephesians 6, that there is a war, and it's not per se against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers. It's against the forces, the evil forces of the heavenly realms. And, and this is real. And here it's saying also, is referring to that, so that God is greater than any of the other things that we can face, all the struggles that we can face. And now it continues to say, Therefore, they speak as from the world, right? And the world listens to them. But we are from God. The one who knows God listens to us. The one who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then when he mentions all this, he goes and says, Beloved, let's love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Well, if I see here, this is not just a phrase that we can ignore. Love one another. Let's love one another. This is a commandment that Jesus said. And if we go to Matthew 22, 34, we'll see the great commandment. And then we'll, we'll keep on going. If we go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Now, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Remember this word, test. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Jesus himself is saying this. This is the commandment, love. Love first God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, 1 John 4, 7 is literally just referring to this. But because he's an apostle, in this case John, apostle of Christ, so what he's teaching is what Christ taught. 
And there's another verse here in John 13, if you go there. John 13, 34. So chapter 13, verse 34. Now, Jesus is also saying, I am giving you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another, if you have love for one another. Well, it's clear that this is a commandment. Now, I remember, well, probably it's a few years back, or a I don't remember exact, probably last year or two years ago, I talked about love. And the question that I asked myself was, is love a choice? And in the end, we came to the conclusion, yes, it is a choice. And of course, we talked about the different types of love. You have the agape love, which comes from God. You have the storge, which is family. And you have phileo, which is friends, and you have eros, which is mostly lust. And I remember I made the reference to a burger, because most of the time we talked about the sh sexual desire, but it's also the same feeling you get when you love a food. For example, a burger. And that, <laughs> yeah. I love burgers, by the way, so if anyone want to give me something that I really appreciate, burgers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now, while, when Jesus is talking about love, it's obviously that he's referring to the agape love. It's the love that we receive from God. And when John is talking about love, he's talking about the same love. Now, we're commanded to love, right? The reason we love is because God is love. Love comes from God. And real love has the source, which is God. And we only understand love because of God. We can only know true love by understanding God because He is the source of love. And now, this is the reason why many people nowadays, we try to define love in many ways. We hear about love every time on TV, in Netflix, on Facebook, on social media. You see love, 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 love. But the love that we see all, that love, is it the same love that we're looking at here? I think if we're talking about love and we're not looking at the source of love, then the question is, is it real love? Now, what, what we know is that God shows us what real love is. If we read, we go back to 1 John 4. Now we go back to 7. We see here, verse 7, that love is from God and everyone who loves has been born. So there is more. We must love one another because love shows that we have been born of God and that we know God. Loving others is the fruit 
of knowing God and experiencing the new birth. Remember we talked about the good fruit? Well, the good tree that produces good fruit? Well, knowing God is like knowing the good tree. And the good tree produces good fruit. Which here, that fruit is expressed in love. Well, better said, that fruit is love. Now, we read here that without God, there is no love. I want that we understand that. And now, we can keep going. But what John is writing here about in this particular text, there's nothing written about the other person. So what I mean is there's nothing written about the other person being deserving of that love. It's just saying love one another. It's not saying love one another because that person bought me a house or because that person... I don't know. It's gracious to me. It just says, love one another. So, the other person, in this case, whatever that person does is not part of the equation. Now, if we know God, we love others. And, and it's simple. In this case, genuine love cannot be exhibited in any community unless it reflects God's love. Now, now comes the shocking words in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So, if someone does not love, according to this text, that person does not know God. Right? And those who live are not characterized, whose, whose, whose lives are not characterized by love for others. Well, how can we call ourselves Christians while not loving others? If we do not love, then we do not know God. Then we have not been changed by God. If we do not love others, then we do not know God because God is love. Love is God. In this case, love is who God is. I can't say love is God because God is love, but love is who God is. Therefore, God defines love. Love does not define Him. So it's not the other way around. God defines love. And not that love defines God. So we can't come with our own definition and put God into it. God is the source. So, when we look at him, we understand. For example, if someone says they love another person, yet the relationship is sinful and is condemned by God, is it real love then? Well, I would say it's most probably errors based on lust, but surely not agape, definitely not from God. Because if you know, if I love someone and I know that what we're doing is sinful and we keep living in this sinful way of life 
and we keep choosing living in this sinful life, I'm not loving the person. And if I really love that person, sometimes it's the hard truth. Sometimes you got to cut it for a time. And you got to say what is true. You got to say, you got to tell the person the truth, the hard truth. I mean, if you really love a person, you would tell him the truth and without holding back. If we, if we look at it, sin is self-focused and self-absorbed. Well, are sinners, so we know this. Sin is the opposite of love. Love and sin cannot go together. Because God is love. God is love. Love and sin can't go together. If you truly love the person, you would compel that person to be in or remain in that uh, sinful situation. You don't want that. Instead, the problem is you love yourself and you want to call the sin love. But is it not it is not love because it's not from God. Sin is not love. So this shows how much we are the problem when it comes to loving others. We are far too occupied by loving ourselves. I mean, what I said, for example, the lust. If 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 you're like this relationship, you keep going there. And am I thinking about the other person? Or am I thinking about myself? Am I thinking about my own desire? Well, most of the time, sadly but true, we think about ourselves. We think about what is good for me and not for the other person. Well, according to this text, we got to do it the other way around. Focus on the person that we're loving. Love one another. But we can't do that if we don't love God. Right? Well, our deepest problem is not outside, like I said. It's inside. So according to this example, it proves the problem. So, if we get angry at someone, right? And we treat this person in a way that is not loving. Or we, like, something happened and let's say I pushed the person. Or you, you, you started in a fight. Is that loving? No. But most of the time that fight does not, did not start at that moment. The fight started here. When you're thinking about yourself, you never think about the benefit of the other. And then... You only think about your benefit and you block. So in this case, how to love? Well, I'm not saying there's an a easy way to explain it, but there is an easy way to explain it. If you notice that you're not being loving towards your family, towards your friends, towards your colleagues, well, probably you should look back at the source. Look back to God. And... Like I said, I mean, the Bible is simple and complex. But there is a one red line, and that red line is Jesus. So, talking about love, 
I can literally spend only five minutes and I said everything that I wanted to say. Or I can spend a whole week, a whole, whole month talking about love. So that's amazing how, how God inspired the people who wrote the Bible. That when we talk about love, it's so simple that everyone can understand. But it's so complex that we can spend an eternity studying and learning more every day about God and His love. So now what we know about this, before I continue to the next verse, when I was preparing this message, actually the, the message before, I was looking back to the text that we started with, Ephesians 6. And then I went back to read Ephesians 5, and I was like, okay, I'm thinking about love, one another. And then I was reading in Ephesians 5, I'm like, whoa, I did not notice this before. I thought it was more in a sense of being imitators of God, right? The chapter 5 is literally calling us to be imitators of God. So if we are to be imitators of God, what is it really saying? If God is love, <laughs> if we imitate God, then we love. So I want to go real quick. I don't want to spend too much time in Ephesians, but... Let's go right there a little one. So uh, right here, Ephesians 5. And we'll see how Ephesians 5 and 6 talks about love. If we go to chapter 5, and we start at verse 22. We see here, of course, there's a bunch of stuff also written. Before that, I'm talking about be imitators of God. And in that context, he goes and says, Wives, subject yourself to your husband as to the Lord. What does that mean? Subject yourself to your husband. Well, many times we misinterpret that as to, I have nothing to say. I just say yes, yes, yes to my husband and that's it. Well, no. As to the Lord, how, how is the relationship to the Lord? Well, of course, we do obey our Lord. But it is a loving relationship because God loves us and we love Him. So technically in this context, it's another way of saying love your husband. For, and then it continues, for your husband is the head of wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But also, if you keep reading, there's something for the husbands. And in your bulletin, you will see that you can, you, there's a note there that you can write down. I put it there like husband, wife, children, slaves, and masters, which we got here from this text. I see that the order of husband and wife is right the other way around, but yeah, that's no problem in this way. So, thank you. So it goes and says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Remember this part. 
Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the gospel. So that he might sanctify her and having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in our glory, having no spot or wrinkle. And it goes and continue and, and keep, keeps giving instructions to the husband. But the main line is, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But then if we go to chapter 6, which we talked about last week, well, two weeks ago. We got in verse 1 something also for the children. Well, the children are all, all, all the way there. But probably you can tell them later. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may turn out well for you and that you may live long. Well, what I find fascinating is that this is a, it's in a, it's written in a way that we can understand it as a commandment. Now, this commandment, remember when we, we saw the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This fits right into it also. I mean, by obeying your parents, by honoring, again, obeying your parents in the Lord, not outside of the Lord, you are being loving to them. But then it says also something for the parents. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you choose not to provoke your children to anger, what kind of action is that? It's a loving action. I mean, of course, if you're thinking about yourself, and that probably that little child is irritating you, you want to focus, and you scream at the child, go to your room, or something like that. Or being even more extreme that the child creates a certain hate towards you. That's not good. Because you were thinking about yourself and not loving the child. When you think about the child, about loving the child, you, won't, you will definitely react in a different manner. Now, if we continue, we have also something for slaves and masters. Of course, slaves and masters is the topic nowadays. Whoa, you're like slaves, masters. It's already abolished, is it? Well, in this context, back in the day, slaves and masters were simply, you can, you can call it now boss and employee, right? Something like that. Or people that owed money and they had to work for a certain time, well, am I a slave then? Because I owe money to school, right? Because I went to school in, in, in the university and I, had, I loaned some money and I have to pay it back. Does that mean I'm a slave? Maybe, in this context. <laughs> well, nowadays we can understand it more like employee and employer and employee. But in this case, you see, and that's also something for the slaves, right? Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and tambling, who, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. That is the important part. Again, it's kind of like the same thing when and Jesus was saying, give to Caesar what is of Caesar. 
the same idea. Well, when, for example, when you're working in the office and you have a manager, the manager has a certain responsibility and do you have to obey that manager? I guess, yeah, if you want to keep your job, <laughs> you kind of have to. I mean, but in this case, the way you obey is different. It's not you obey that manager for who he is. Because we, we, we're not following the, the people. We do that in order to show love as we do to Christ. And, and this is hard to do. Because sometimes that manager can be very annoying and that you would like to throw things in the office or not. I don't know. <laughs> so think about that. In this case, obey with respect and fear and with sincerity of your heart just as you would obey Christ. Now, masters, hey, there's also something for the master. Not only, so there's something for everyone here. And master do the same things, meaning... What are the same things? Respect. Sincerity of heart. Eh? Do not threaten them. Kind of like the parent and the child. Since you know that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven. God is the real deal. <laughs> and there is no favoritism with him. He loves us all equally. That's amazing. Now, that's something I, I noticed when I was preparing this, and I, I wanted to share it. If you go back to the text in 1 John, chapter 4. Oh, man, it's hot. <sighs> yeah. All right. If we go to verse 9, we will see something very interesting. By this, the love of God was revealed in us. That God has sent His only Son into the world so that we may live through Him. So how do we get there? How do we get there? Meaning, how do we get to that love? How do we get this transformation so that we will love others as God commanded us to love? How can we love others with the love that God has because God is love? But God's love was revealed among us in this way. Like we just read, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Did this change happens when we focus on the love of God that was revealed among us. God is love explains the cross and His plan of redemption. If God is wrath, then things go completely differently for, for us. And we've seen that in the Old Testament. And I think in the New Testament also have some scenarios. If God only operated on the basis of the law and justice, then we would be convicted of sin and justly judged to eternity in hell. God's love is the remedy. Because remember, 
If we go to John 3.16, we see, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, for whoever believes in Him shall never perish but have eternal life. But if we continue, we, we will read something very interesting. And actually, I want to go there. I want to go there. The famous verse, John 3.16, we see, Right? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him. The one who believes in Him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already, or in other words, has been condemned already. So in our sinful nature, we're already condemned. So in this case, He is the remedy. So, it's, it's one thing to talk about love, but another thing altogether to show love. Because, like we talked about last week, that if we confess alone, it does nothing. But we have to believe, and the confession is a result of the belief. But when you believe, that also impacts your behavior. So then, when you believe, you show love. And not, you don't, you're not only seeing that you love a person, but you actually love the person. So, remember that we are loved by God and will always be loved by God. So how do we know that? We, we read that in the fact that God sent His Son into this world. We see that Jesus and the coming of Him is how we know that we are loved by God. So God sent His only Son, sending your, His uh, only Son shows His sacrifice 